All right, we're back with another episode of Are You a Robot? Let's get a brief introduction from Darwin before we jump into the full conversation. My name is Duan Li. Uh, I am a senior advisor to the Institute of uh, for Security and Technology. I am a recovering federal government academic. I spent about 11 years uh, with the federal government as a professor, researcher, and a principal investigator. Uh, my PhD training is in quantitative modeling and uh, political movements. Uh, and because of the specific uh, combination of skill sets, I ended up doing a lot of uh, R&D projects with um, government R&D agencies, right? And um, if you think about essentially political movements and um, uh, quantitative modeling, and then add a little bit data science to that mixture, um, and that's essentially what I do, which is using a lot of you know data to understand how this information spreads and propagates uh, to engender perhaps certain effects. So I think we're going to talk about some of these issues in great detail. So thank you for having me. So in case this is your first time here, let me just update you on what we are doing at Are You a Robot? This is a series where we aim to tackle some of the greatest questions and challenges that stem from AI and related technologies. The way that we're doing that is scouring the planet for the brightest minds in their respective fields to come on here and talk with us about what exactly they're doing, if they feel there are any best practices that we can take away, or if there is anything that we need to be looking at and hopefully opening doors inside of our minds. Now, the conversation does not stop here because if you would like to talk with us or talk with any of these guests, I encourage you to jump in our Slack channel and introduce yourself. Let us know what you're passionate about and how you see the current state of affairs when it comes to AI and all of these technologies that are eating up our daily lives more and more. Last but not least, I want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Ethics Grade. They are doing some innovative stuff when it comes to ESG benchmarkings or ratings. And for those of you that do not know what ESG is, that is where you look at a company and the non-financial impact that the company has on society. So Ethics Grade is going around and they are examining the data protocols and the AI ethics of some of the biggest companies and industries that we engage with on a daily basis. Not only tech industries, but car industries and uh, the flight industry, flight, the different airline companies, you name it. And Ethics Grade has probably done a scorecard on these companies. You can go to their website and check out these scorecards for free and download them, see what different companies' scores get when it comes to their data protocol measures or their AI programs and why they're getting measured as they are. So there's definitely some surprises in there. I highly encourage you to check out ethicsgrade.io or if you would like, just click on the description below and you'll be able to go and magically transport yourself to their webpage. That's all I've got for now. Let's get into this fascinating conversation where we talk about all things disinformation. For me, this has been one of the greatest conversations. And really, it feels like there are steps that are being laid out as to what we can do when it comes to disinformation. And we all know that that is a huge problem these days. So I encourage you to listen to what DW has to say and how we can effectively combat this and why some of the old ways or the ways that we are trying to combat it right now are not so effective. That's all I got. Let's jump into the conversation. Are you a robot? It is a pleasure to have you on here. I'm so excited to talk with you. You have such 
an enormous background. You've done so many things, and I want to dive into all of them. Hopefully, we can do that. If, we, if I manage to talk faster than my normal pace, we might be able to get into it. But let's, pro let's just start with what your main roles are as a strategic advisor to the Institute for Security and Technology. Yeah, so um, IST is a nonprofit think tank um, here in the Bay Area, uh, California. And what we do is providing uh, what I call agile public and private partnership to tackle some of the most challenging uh, national security problem sets. Uh, for example, I'm pretty sure everyone is really deeply concerned about uh, this recent wave of ransomware attacks. So, I mean, it, it is a big national security problem set. So we convene a lot of stakeholders, both from the private sector and also in the federal government to come up with agile and unique solutions. And my role with uh, IST is mostly working with Silicon Valley uh, to find mature commercial solutions that can support national security problems. So I work very closely with the federal government. I work very closely with the State Department, uh, the Department of Defense, and trying to help them, you know, help both sides, right? Industry and also the federal government, where they can work together. So that's my primary role. So you're like the bridge between these two. Yes, I think that's a, a great analogy. Uh, even though we have quite a few innovation uh, platforms uh, within the federal government, um, a lot of times uh, the best solutions are not available to them. And a lot of the you know tech companies that provide the best solutions are not aware of what the federal government really needs, right? Mm -hmm. So... Bridging that gap is essentially primarily what we do at IST. And uh, you know, my functional area is mostly on disinformation mitigation, information warfare, and also how to combat you know, foreign propaganda. So disinformation and misinformation, they're two separate things? Yes, I think they're slightly different, right? So you know, I think the main you know, difference here is the intent. So if I have a specific objective of destabilizing another country or perhaps, you know, a different community by using misleading information, then I think that's disinformation. Uh, misinformation is essentially mostly misleading information that people may share unwittingly without knowing whether that is false or without really intending to cause harm to anybody else. Of course, in practice, the difference is really hard to establish sometimes because, you know, a lot of times we share information without, you know, intending to harm anyone, but that can result in, you know, harming a specific community, right, or a group of vulnerable individuals and, and whatnot. So the theoretical difference is fairly straightforward. And of course, the difference is always much you know, blurrier in practice. Mm, yeah. When you're looking at disinformation, I know there is probably the main use case or the main time that we all think about, which is when we get onto Facebook and we feel like Facebook's or just social media in general, Facebook, Twitter, uh, not so much on LinkedIn, but I'm sure it, probably is happening on LinkedIn. And there are what we've heard about as disinformation campaigns that are happening. Is that the only area that it's restricted to? Or what are some other ways that disinformation campaigns are getting out there? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And um, uh, I look at disinformation as um, uh, an industry, right? So it has its own supply chain. It has its own manufacturing basis, right? And then there are distributors, right? And they're like in a consumer-facing outlet, right? So look at this information like any other industry, right? So it is, you know, produced somewhere, right? And then, you know, you have to, if you have a, 
good to sell, then you have to have a distribution network, right? And then when you have distribution, a, a good distribution network, then you have essentially consumer-facing outlets, right? Retail stores, right? So to me, you know, it is really important to understand this information as this massive supply chain. And to me, you know, when you mention social media, right? They're mostly like, you know, distribution networks, right? So I think this is where people get very concerned because this is when this information becomes really very conspicuous, you know, observable and visible, right? But I don't think we can tackle this big issue unless we try to address, you know, the manufacturing, you know, sites, right? And I think this is one of the key um, sort of, you know, weaknesses of how people address this information at this point, because a lot of times we're trying to remove some of these you know, toxic products from retail stores, right? But by then, it's, oftentimes it's too late. Uh, I love the analogy of the full supply chain and saying that things like Facebook are more the uh, distributors rather than the retail store or the actual consumer. Yeah. And, and I think you know, there is also, I mean, it, it's not a perfect analogy, right? But to me, like, you know, it's really um, damning that a lot of these platforms uh, allow, you know, private, you know, groups, right? Who are encrypted in a private chat apps and whatnot. And, and in a way, you know, it, it really creates what I call, you know, what people call, you know, echo chambers, right? Mm -hmm. So they're insulated from the rest of the community, right? And there is, leaves very little room for people to exercise critical thinking, right? Or examine the content they're consuming and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, the content is important, right? And and this is another issue that I see in uh, disinformation analysis. People tend to focus too much on what kind of content is misleading, what constitutes disinformation. And, and this is where I use another analogy, right? You know, disinformation is like nuclear waste, right? Or nuclear material, right? Uh, it can be really like, you know, radioactive. It has a super long half-life, right? It doesn't go away easily, right? Well, hmm. we also use, you know, uh, nuclear energy, right? So the analogy I'm trying to make here is that we are paying too much attention to the content and not enough attention to the delivery mechanisms, right? Because if somebody has a conspiracy theory, right? And if that conspiracy theory stays within that person's brain, it's not going to harm a lot of people, right? Problem is social media platforms provide really efficient delivery mechanisms of this information at this point. So you just said uh, before this how we also need to be looking at the people that are creating in, mm -hmm. in this supply chain, right? We maybe need to focus a lot of the conversations that we're having on the ones that are actually the producers of the disinformation. And that doesn't come into the conversation as much, I think. When we look at disinformation, it's automatically we think of the social media platforms yep. and namely yep. Facebook, right? Because they are the big social media platform and there's one mm -hmm. two billion users on Facebook and we don't really look at the creators as much and then here you're mentioning that yes but we also really need to be cautious when we're working with the social media platforms because they're the they give these creators the ability to just project absolutely scale. yeah and I think, you know, to me, this is where uh, we have to be very nuanced and very deliberate, right? 
because um, I mean, this is something not you know very. It's not easy to uh, articulate, but I'll, I'll give it a go. And and that is, you know, disinformation and fiction. Think about those two terms, right? And and imagine like you know why fiction is so important to you know our way of life, right? You know, think about stories, you know, books, you know, songs, movies, and so on and so forth. Fiction is an essential part of how we enjoy our lives, right? Now, when you say fiction is acceptable, but when you say disinformation is bad, right? The difference is really the context, right? So when I say fiction, I'm saying, hey, Star Wars, right? Nobody's going to confuse that with like a historical documentary, right? Yeah. Totally. So to me, that context is really important, right? And I think, you know, disguising that context is really the crux of the problem, right? And this is what the manufacturers of this information do, right? So instead of saying it fiction, right, they're always trying to blur the line between fiction and reality, right? So when I say manufacturers, right, essentially, you know, we should, we should never encroach upon freedom of speech, right? Uh, because that's an important pillar of open society. But what worries me the most is essentially like, you know, well-funded and powerful entities like the Chinese Communist Party, the Kremlin, right? And, and a lot of, you know, well-funded extremist organizations, right? To me, you know, how they amplify certain belief systems intentionally and inauthentically through the social media platforms, to me, that is really the crux of the problem, right? Because if somebody says something really outrageous about our political system, right, from the Kremlin, right? And, and this has happened many, many times, right? Hmm. Now, if people understand that, hey, this is coming from the Kremlin, right? You know, this is essentially a type of propaganda, right? Yeah. So people have this awareness. They understand the context of where this information is coming from, right? And, and the purpose of the specific information and whatnot. Then I think we can preserve freedom of speech, right? While combating what I call foreign amplification, right? And look, I hate saying this, but people will believe in all kinds of crazy stuff. We cannot stop it, right? Yeah. To me, the crux of this problem is how malign actors try to surgically amplify, right? Or essentially embellish specific parts of this stupid stuff to serve their own political goals, right? So again, to me, you know, like you asked earlier, understanding the intent behind this information, right? And contextualizing what kind of information we, we consume is really key to combating this information. There's two questions that I want to ask because it feels like, uh, and they're very different. So maybe I'll ask the first one and then if yeah. I can remember it, I'll go to the next one if we don't go down a, another tangent. And the first one is, I was just reading an article from, uh, I think it was Verge, and we'll link to it in the show notes for everyone who wants to read it also. But it was interviewing Mark Zuckerberg, and he, he basically said, we shouldn't look at this disinformation or misinformation that is happening on Facebook like it's ever going to go away. It should be looked at as something like we're fighting crime. You never expect some uh, police official, a city police official to have 0% crime rate. And so I looked at that. When I read that, it's like looking at it and being like, mm, that's an easy way to give yourself an out or just pass the buck and say, hey, look, right now, it's never going to happen where we have 0% misinformation or disinformation. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Do you feel like it, we could get to a place where we have 0% disinformation considering the state of the world that we're in right now? That's a really 
amazing question, right? And um, um, let me start by saying that, you know, Facebook has an amazing PR team, right? So, uh, you know, whatever they say is really sophisticated, right? And, and like, you know, super clever, right? Uh, yeah. So, again, let me dissect your question because it's, it's really multi-layered, right? So there are two aspects to, you know, your question. One is, is it possible to eradicate disinformation, right? And my position is that no, it is not possible because, you know, it's essentially a type of, you know, fiction, right? So now, does it mean that, here comes the second part, right? doesn't mean that we should enable criminals, right? So is it possible to get rid of all crime? No, right? Because that's part of who we are, right? Uh, but should we, right, as a political community, as a social community, should we, like, allow the propagation of, like, criminal activities in the information environment? My answer to the question is a resounding no, right? So that's the slippery slope that they're using, right, to essentially justify what they're doing, right? But there's a huge difference between what exists, right, and what we should be doing to mitigate that, right? So my, my position is very simple. Look, like I said earlier, right, there are always some fringe people, right, believing in some kind of crazy conspiracy theories. That is as old as the human species itself, right? Should we essentially create systems that make, you know, sharing such information much easier? No, right? Should we reward them with monetization scheme so they can share such, you know, malign content with ease? My answer to the question is no, right? So another analogy I'm using, you know, I commonly use is that, so Dimitri, imagine that, you know, there is this, you know, amazing looking like hamburger in front of you, right? It looks really good. It looks amazing, right? And it's like, you know, looks juicy and, and everything, right? Now imagine that, right? You're super hungry, right? And, and you are sitting in front of this hamburger. I think most people would just, you know, dive in, right? Now, imagine a different scenario where, right, there is a label right next to this hamburger that says that, oh, by the way, this is not beef. This is bat meat harvested from a wet market somewhere in Wuhan, right? And this bat meat uh -oh. was harvested about you know, two years ago, right? Oh. And God knows there is no health, like, you know, indications, there are no, like, an inspection, nothing, right? Mm. Let's just say you have the label right next to that amazing-looking hamburger, right? There's a good chance that you'll say no, right? <laughs> right now, yeah. what is permitted on the largest social media platforms is that anybody can serve that hamburger, right? without telling anyone where it came from, how it's processed, right? What kind of junk that went into the patty, right? And whatnot. And how old the main ingredients are, right? Mm. And to me, that is essentially not something we can permit anymore. So this is fascinating. And I, I think it's hilarious that you use that analogy right now. I mean, people who listen know that I'm a vegetarian. And today, just by <laughs> sorry, chance, sorry. <laughs> that, but it's it's great anyway, because I understood the analogy. I think it's perfect. Uh, but just by chance today, I am fasting. So the whole day I'm not eating and you're talking about this and <laughs> it's like, yeah, if I had a, just about anything in front of me right now, I'd eat it. And so. No, I think that that's actually, that is not, that is very relevant to this conversation. And I'll tell you why, right? So a lot of people have asked me, you know, why is that this information is so rampant during this COVID pandemic, right? And this is kind of like, you know, where you are right now, because, you know, 
it is not, I don't think it's unique to uh, this pandemic, right? I mean, there are some unique aspects to it, mm-hmm. but it is really a function of, you know, how rapid a major crisis is taking place, right? Because that mm-hmm. creates a lot of uncertainty. And when you're facing a lot of uncertainty, right, you're really eager to consume a lot of information without examining, right, the fidelity of it, right? So the reason I made that, you know, highly inappropriate analogy to you (laughs) is that, you know, if people are really hungry for information, right, and if somebody serves you that nice-looking entree of information without providing the context, right, and imagine, essentially, you know, there are the social media platforms that help you disguise where that dish came from, right? And this is why people are essentially consuming a lot of this information and has been consuming a lot of this information, especially during the during this COVID pandemic, right? Because uncertainty is what creates that thirst for unvetted information. Yeah, that's a fascinating point and it makes complete sense. So you mentioned something there about how we don't want to enable the systems that are allowing these people to have their disinformation just projected at large. And I'm wondering, do you feel like that has not already, so it's already happened, but is it not too late to roll back and stop doing things? Like the systems are already in place. They're very entrenched in society. Is it now that you're talking about putting new systems on top of that, like the the cards that you're speaking of or the information, just deeper information about news that's being shared? Like, how does that look when we are engaging on Facebook or Instagram or other social networks? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like, you know, uh, that's a great question, right? And also a really tough question to answer, right? Um, you know, because, you know, uh, when I was a graduate student, uh, some of the computational models uh, I was building were predicated upon this notion of path dependency, right? So, like, you know, what you meant by deeply entrenched, right? And it's really hard to get away from that well-treaded, you know, path. So it's going to be really challenging. And in fact, if you look at how different, like, you know, governmental bodies are trying to rein in this rampant, you know, pace of uh, disinformation from certain social media platforms, I think that's a good indication of the difficulty that you're you know, just you know, raising, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that you know we will you know we'll come to some kind of um, new social contract. Uh, the reason you know I say is that uh, you know again let me make another historical uh, analogy. You know during the dawn of the industrial revolution. Right, um, you know, child labor was like global. It was incredibly pervasive, right? Um, and of course, you know, for productivity, uh, you know, this is not something that we care deeply about until we realize how much harm it was doing to the children and and you know, and their families, right? And it was just an awful thing to do for overall social, you know, health, right? So this is why we started like, you know, talking about labor laws, right? Or like, you know, labor protection and whatnot, right? So eventually, right, the superstructure will catch up. I think right now we are caught between this temporal gap between the infrastructure and the superstructure, right? And eventually we'll, we'll you, know, you know, build this superstructure better, right? Especially in Europe, they're really enhancing different types of privacy laws and data protection laws, right? So, you know, in a way, social media platforms cannot monetize what I do on their platform without asking my consent, right? Hey, if you want to use my privacy data to raise your, like, you know, ad revenue, right? You have to pay me, right? Or at least you have to ask me beforehand that that's what you're going to do with my data, right? 
So globally speaking, there are a lot of different movements, right? To essentially reestablish a new social contract between our data and how that data is used for monetization purposes, right? I don't think it's going to be easy, right? Uh, because, you know, it's going to be a, a, a real battle of political influence, right? But if you look at what's happening even in the United States, uh, right now, you know, our public discourse about data privacy is far different from perhaps two or three years ago, right? So in that yeah. sense, I think they all indicate this renewed attention to how we essentially promote data privacy, right? Because to me, that is really key to how to, you know, combat disinformation, right? Because between data privacy and disinformation, what you have is essentially what we call micro-targeting, right? So people can use my privacy data to understand what I desire, what I'm more likely to click on, what I'm more likely to buy, what I'm more likely to listen to, and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. And well-funded, you know, perhaps malign organizations can use that micro-targeting, right, to feed me tailored content, right? So as long as you protect privacy data, then it's going to really make micro-targeting much harder, right? Then it becomes much harder for the malign actors to feed me the tailored content, right? So again, going back to the whole supply chain analogy. I love what you said there about social contracts and how we need to catch up. And what we saw back in the day with child labor was just industry moving faster than the government could catch up to it and the regulators could move or even not even maybe the regulators didn't even think about it at the moment but then we saw how destructive it was to society and the health of society and now it feels like we're at the point where we're seeing how destructive the current situation is to society Exactly. And I'm, I'm wondering, where does the role of AI play in all of this? Because you mentioned before that there's potentially solutions that we have using AI to help combat misinformation. And I know just on the other side of that, AI is being used to promote disinformation. So it's like it's, it's, uh, we're pitting AI against each other. In a way, how, yeah. how do you see this playing out? So I think that's a great question. And um, um, again, you know, really multi-layered, you know, question, right? And um, so it, it's kind of, you know, AI is a really broad category of different tools, right? Uh, so they're like, you know, ML algorithms, there are data classifiers, data indexing algorithms, there are NLP, right? Um, there's a whole slew of different types of AI. So I think that that's a little bit too broad, right? Uh, but to me, it is something like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, law enforcement, right? Uh, and people may freak out about the term law enforcement, but we use a lot of data aggregation and data analysis to do like, you know, predictive policing, right? So we, we think about, oh, okay, this is, you know, some of the areas that where like you know crime is more likely to happen because there are certain patterns of life, right? Or there are perhaps certain opportunities that criminals may try to take advantage of and whatnot, right? And we've been really good at essentially what we call pattern detection, right? Now, so and we use a lot of algorithms, right? Uh, for pattern detection, right? Now, again, going back to the supply chain analogy, right? So this information is manufactured somewhere, right? It is handed off to certain distributors, right? And then they, you know, carry the disinformation to the retail stores, right? And so on and so forth, right? We can use a lot of, like, you know, um, algorithms, especially like, you know, NLP, natural language processing, right? to do this pattern detection in terms of how content, you know, spreads and propagates over time and space, right? 
So that would be a good sort of, you know, example how AI can serve to combat disinformation, right? Because now we can illuminate the entire supply chain, right? We can illuminate the entire industry, right? Because once we have that awareness, if not evidence, right? Now we can do something about, right? All these malign producers of disinformation and also the distributors, right? So I think that's where I see AI can play an important role. And in fact, that is precisely the solution space I am in. Uh, I'm, I'm using a lot of NLP to surface and illuminate how specific strands of disinformation uh, travel over time and space, right? And essentially I'm going backwards, right? To find, you know, the point of origin, right? Yeah, patient zero, right? So I think that's where, you know, AI can be incredibly powerful. Having said that, I must add a very important caveat here, right? And that is, again, going back to the industrial revolution, right? What perhaps like, you know, even to the dawn of, you know, radio and film, right? Uh, especially uh, in the 20th century, right? A lot of like, you know, political movements and political entities weaponize radio and film, right? Uh, Nazi Germany was this great example of weaponizing radio and film, right? Now, what I'm trying to say here is that even though technology is an important part of this problem set, right? I don't think technology alone can solve this problem, right? Again, going back to the notion of social contract, right? Because no matter how amazing, right, defensive technology may be, right, it's always going to be dual use, right? So the idea here is that, hey, this massively destabilizing technology issue, we're going to solve with better technology. I think that's really not understanding the interaction between technology, right, and essentially like, you know, uh, not regulation. I, I hate the word regulation, right, but what I call public oversight, right? Because there are different forms of public oversight. Regulation is one, legislation is another, right? But also, we can essentially create, you know, a much more nuanced, you know, mechanism of sanitizing our information environment. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot to chew on there. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's not just NLP. I think computer vision uh, will also play an incredibly important role, right? Because a lot of times, disinformation campaigns, you know, rely heavily on like memes or certain like, you know, doctored images and whatnot, right? And, and this, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody is familiar with defects these days, right? Mm -hmm. But again, you know, we can use detection algorithms to backtrace, right? So it is kind of like, you know, contact tracing, right? You know, this is what we have done to understand the propagation of the coronavirus, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, like, you know, it, it is not very different from how uh, a, a deadly virus spreads, right? And the idea is that we can use, you know, different like, you know, computer vision algorithms to backtrace, you know, how a, a, a fake meme, a specific meme has, you know, uh, propagated over time and space, right? To me, this is really the holy grail of uh, understanding this problem set. Because then with that understanding, you'll be able to see where it came from and then effectively go to the root. Uh, and I understand yeah. that you're mentioning that it's not only tech that is going to solve this and we need to, there are people behind this that are creating these things and creating Absolutely. this information. And we need to get to the root, which are these people that are behind this. It's not just the tech that is going to be able to mask it. That's more like putting a Band-Aid over it. And yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is where I would go back to the Kremlin analogy, right? Or even the Chinese Communist Party analogy, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, I live in the United States, right? So when people realize the kind of stuff they're sharing and engaging on social media, actually came from the Kremlin, 
or from the Chinese Communist Party, they pause, right? They stop their like you know unbridled sharing behavior mm. online, right? That way, we're clamping down on the distribution network, right? Because people, oh my God, this hamburger may look amazing, but it's actually bat meat, right? Harvested from a wet market in Wuhan, right? They're going to stop consuming that hamburger, right? I think that's how we create friction to the propagation of this information. Wow. Okay. So then it will be the ability with AI to go and backtrace all of the past ones. Essentially, you're training a model so that when new news comes out, it is able in real time to there look at that and yep. determine its effectiveness or its re reliability. It's uh, Yeah, so essentially the label, right? The nutrition table that I was talking about, right? That I can attach next to that bat meat burger, right? Yeah. So I think that's a good technical solution, right? But that's not going to be sufficient. The reason being, right? Um, so like, you know, Think about like food safety, right? I mean, I, I keep coming back to the same analogy because this is, you know, it's, it's, it fits really well, right? So whenever you try to get a piece of cheese, right? Now that I know you're a vegetarian, right? Typically, you know where it came from, when the expiry date is, right? Where it was manufactured, what kind of animal it was, like, you know, uh, it came from and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that's not very hard to do, right? But there is this, like, you know, like social contract, right? That, hey, we're going to essentially spend some money, right? To make this universal, right? So if you go and buy any food item, right? The end user, the consumer can have an understanding of what he or she is consuming, right? Totally. That's not a function of technology, right? That was essentially a function of public oversight, right? Because food safety is so critical to our health, right? I think the same logic applies to the information environment because we consume so much more information than ever before, right? But there is no information safety in place. Yeah. I mean, how like ridiculous is that, right? Yeah, the lineage is what you need a lineage of where it came from what it was made from and all of these details would be fascinating i see it like easily you could set up something on facebook as you're scrolling through your newsfeed and you have the thumbnail preview to click on and it shows the uh the headline and underneath you have a few of a few statistics from it that show the lineage of it and Instantly, I think about a few things that is, of course, with food, we don't have malicious actors that are trying to feed us poison. But with this disinformation, we do. And the other thing there is that... And we let it go on. Yeah, which is even worse. I, exactly. That is very true. This is why I keep coming back to the notion of social contract, right? Because it's not a technology... I mean, it is a technology problem, right? But again, we have to demand, right? You know, when something becomes so widespread, essentially, it is no longer private, right? It is a public, you know, service, right? Because can you imagine living without water or air, right? So we try to keep the air we breathe clean and we ensure that the water we drink has certain standards, right? In 2021... I don't think anybody can survive without information, digital information, right? Hmm. But somehow, is we don't demand this new social contract to keep this important public function, right? You know, uh, from tampering because it's tampered all the time, right? And we are okay with it. I think that is really the crux of the problem at this point. And so I automatically think about hackers and how much they work to uh, do malicious things online. And 
when you talk about creating these machine learning models that will be able to give you the lineage in real time of anything that you post on a social network, I automatically think, well, aren't the people that are creating this malicious content just going to figure out a new way to mask this of content course. and of course. show? Of course. So it's going to be that constant dance. That's what of we course. can look at it of as. Course. I mean, do we still have sweatshops? So let me ask you this question. Do we still have you know, sweatshops around the globe, yeah. right, that exploit mm-hmm. children to satisfy our consumption needs, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, there are certain countries that have received a lot of public scrutiny, right? And there are certain brands that have received a lot of public scrutiny because they were relying on cheap child labor to produce, right, you know, fast mm-hmm. fashion, right? So... Will there be like you know violators? Absolutely, right? Uh, but are we trying to make it a little bit harder for them? I think that's where we should be going, right? And again, going back to this information, I don't think it'll be possible to get rid of, eradicate fake news or disinformation, right? But we gotta make it as difficult, as costly as we can, right? Mm-hmm. And and also we need to build this superstructure to be able to detect when they try to violate this new social contract, right? So enforcement, right? So again, you know, there'll always be criminals, right? Um, and, and there'll always be like, you know, malign content creators, right? Uh, but I think our job is essentially try to make it as difficult as possible, right? And, and the end result will be, right, reduced volume, right? Because now it's so much harder. So what about those moments where, or those people that are probably thinking, this is just a way to push one narrative and have one narrative be predominant and the other narratives that aren't as accepted, less predominant? I. I'm wondering about the moments where we have like the the conspiracy theory that started as a conspiracy theory and now we're not sure if it's a conspiracy theory of the COVID origins and the lab leak. And in the beginning, that was looked at as absolutely crazy to even speak of that, right? And now it's potentially one of the top contenders as to where COVID came from. And so that in the beginning was a conspiracy theory. And when we're looking at this new way of doing it, maybe that would have never seen the light or been able to get traction because it is labeled and shown to have lineage of a conspiracy. Or do you feel like you'll still be able to have real news come out if it has the right kind of credentials behind it? it will just make it much harder for that news to there that news or all news i should say will come under more scrutiny yeah i think that's again a really tough question and um um, my experience and perhaps this is more of an assumption um i don't believe in content control right Uh, because that is a very slippery slope, right? That is like, you know, a very slippery slope straight to censorship, right? And and look, open society is messy. Democracy is messy, right? You know, democracy is essentially, you know, uh, politics by demagogues, right? It is messy. I think what we should focus on is enabling individuals, to make better decisions, right? Instead of telling them what is true and what is not true, right? And still there'll be a lot of individuals who make terrible decisions, right? And that's okay. I mean, that that is essentially what open society is, right? But what we need to focus on is essentially this contest of opinion, right? is at least fairly played, right? So essentially, you know, if somebody is already injured, right? Let's just say you are in a boxing match 
and and one guy is wearing regular like you know gloves, right? And the other guy has essentially like metal spikes inside his gloves, right? That's what's happening in the information environment right now, right? So debate is an important part of open society. I just want it to be right as transparent, right? So if you believe in some kind of conspiracy theory, don't pretend that you know, you know, we gotta like show individuals, the end users, right? That hey. This is an opinion, right? And by the way, this opinion came straight from RT or straight from Sputnik, right? Or straight from Xinhua or the Global Times and whatnot, right? And now the end user is like, oh, okay, this sounds really interesting, but do I really want to like, you know, give this content from RT a lot of credibility? Hmm. And I think you know, this is how you move more people to the center, right? And pulling people from both, you know, ends of the spectrum closer to the center, right? We, we shouldn't try to like remove or like you know you know destroy, right? This you know both ends of the spectrum, uh, because then I think we're gonna have a much higher level of polarization. And once you have, I mean, you know, look at the United States, you know, we are incredibly polarized right now. And this is what feeds even more disinformation, right? It's, it's a vicious cycle. And the idea is that what do we do to break this feedback loop, right? And this is why also fact-checking doesn't work very well, right? Because essentially, if I call your opinion fake news and you call my declaration fake news, right? That's not gonna change the ecosystem, right? And because right now most fact-checking is either partisan, right? Or it, it almost always has a very strong political undertone, right? And this is why like, you know, both sides calling each other like, you know, fake news, right? It doesn't really mitigate the extent of polarization. Wow. So, sorry, my daughter's just about to leave. She wants oh, okay. to give me a hug. She just ran up to me and said, hug. Hello. So nice to meet you. So she's out of here. Your father is uh, a very intelligent person. He asks a lot of tough questions. A lot of so uh, along the the line of the tough questions. And you mentioned here. So you just mentioned how the United States has been affected, and I live in Germany. And I know there are people that are listening that live all over the globe. Do you feel like misinformation and disinformation hits different societies in different ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, um, again, um, let's, let's go back to the COVID analogy, right? Hey, if you're not vaccinated, you're more likely to get the virus, right? And you're more likely to get sick from the virus. And, and you're more likely to, you know, face like, you know, really like you know, terrible consequences. And, and at the same time, you're also a carrier. So you're going to, you know, you know um, in fact, even more people in your, um, you know, proximity, right? So um, it, it is not unlike this virus, right? So people who do not have enough institutional protection tend to receive the brunt of um, malign content. So I'll give you a couple of examples, right? Mm. So like female political candidates, right? Receive like disproportional disinformation, right? Uh, also think about like, you know, uh, migrants, right? Uh, because they are socially and politically vulnerable and they cannot, they, they have no recourse to defend themselves in the information environment, right? So they receive disproportional disinformation. Think about asylum seekers. It's the same thing. If you think about far-right conspiracy theories, they always target migrants, asylum seekers, right? Or minority groups, right? So in a way, it's just like a virus, right? It attacks those who do not have enough means to protect themselves in the information environment. And this is why I think it is a fundamental threat to open society, right? And a fundamental threat to democracy. So what are some of these societal factors that you feel like 
play a big role? Is it just education and being weak or vulnerable? Um, I think this is a good segue to talk about some of the um, uh, existing um, or new strategies um, to combat disinformation. So there are like, you know, uh, five different uh, strategies that people typically talk about uh, to combat uh, disinformation. So they are like, you know, uh, awareness, you know, content control, deplatforming, uh, fact-checking, and identity authentication, right? So let me explain each one of them. So awareness is essentially like, you know, what people call like digital uh, education, right? Or digital literacy, right? And um, I think uh, it, it can work, right? And, and right now, I mean, if you read any article or listen to any, you know, uh, podcast about this information, you know, 99% of the time you'll hear people talk about, well, we need to educate the people. We need to educate everyone, right? And, and I'm thinking, well, globally speaking, uh, we have a lot more literacy than ever before but how come we still have so much disinformation, right? So it doesn't really click, right? The reason being, a lot of times, uh, education is a function of, you know, local governments or like, you know, provincial governments or state governments, right? So they control uh, how education is implemented in their own jurisdiction, right? So for small countries, this can work, right? And uh, Finland is a great example. Like Sweden is a great example, right? But if you're talking about highly heterogeneous countries, right? Um, like the United States, for example, right? Education is a function of, you know, state governments, right? I don't think we can just flatten education and apply universally to combat disinformation, right? And, 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 if it's any indication, uh, you know, we've been talking about education for eons, right? Uh, we still have really like, you know, wicked problems going on, right? Mm. And I think our solution to this massively destabilizing problem set has to be better than what every elementary school social studies class recommends, right? Education, education, education. I, I know I, I sound cynical, but I think we can do better than just education, right? Number two is content control, essentially removing content from certain social media platforms and whatnot, right? Uh, like, you know, um, you know this, this happens all the time on social media platforms. Perhaps sometimes uh, news media outlets may actually, like, you know, uh, redact what they published uh, because it was, like, you know, uh, a mistake or it was... Um, essentially misleading and whatnot. Um, I don't like it because content control, like I said earlier, is a, a quick, you know, <laughs> shortcut to uh, censorship. Uh, it goes against the very notion of open society, right? Uh, deep platforming is essentially removing certain accounts, right? Uh, this hasn't worked really well either. Uh, as you must know, when you yeah, deep like platform somebody, they go to another platform, right? or they go to an encrypted you know, chat app, right? So, I mean, it's it's a good PR exercise for some of the social media companies, right? But does it really change the ecosystem? No, right? Uh, in fact, they become even harder to track, right? And, and combat, right? So they essentially go underground, right? Uh, Fact-checking, I talked about this. I'm not gonna repeat myself, right? Uh, you know, uh, partisan groups or conspiracy theories can easily gain fact-checking. Essentially, they, they're going to muddle up the water so much, it becomes impossible to differentiate what is true and what is not true, right? And, and you know, fact-checking is so easy to gain or, like, you know, politicize. Number five is what I call identity authentication, and this has some real potential but also it's really hard to use universally. So South Korea is a good example of, you know, identity authentication, right? That is, you know, if you want to create an online account, right? You know, you, you have to show, you, you have to verify that you're a real person, right? You're a real citizen, right? And you cannot hide behind a, a, a pseudonym, right? 
and create a fake account online, right? And perhaps this may have something to do with the low volume of disinformation in South Korea, right? So I think that has some, like, you know, potential. But again, you know, it, it is not something that we can apply to a lot of different countries because every country has its own cultural, like, you know, sensitivity to, you know, identity authentication, right? And and again, I think, you know, 5 plus alpha is what we talked about earlier, right? Essentially giving the end user a lot more context about the information she or he is consuming. Yeah, it feels like that is a solution that I have not heard before. And it would be immensely helpful if we had all of this context before we share. Because I know I've done it, like, sadly, I, I'm not proud of it, but I've read a high, like, a, what do they call them? The headline. And I've said, wow, that looks interesting. That's really cool. And I click through, but I never get around to reading the, the full article. And then I, I share it anyway uh, because of the headline. Yeah. And, and look, you know, we cannot expect, you know, um, like individuals to read everything in its entirety, right? Nobody does that. Like literally, like, you know, I do the same thing. I look at the headline and oh, that's how, that that really conforms my belief, right? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. click or I share it. I, I like you know, I like it, right? I promote it, right? I think that's I think you know the the pain point that we need to address, right? So yeah, I think um, um essentially that that's what I'm trying to um that's precisely what I'm working on, right? How to make it like easily available to the average end user in the information environment, right? Um, and like, you know, we all have to eat, right? So when we go to a supermarket and try to buy any groceries, right? We, we check. Sometimes we flip it, right? And trying to say, oh my God, it's, it, it had expired two days ago. And palm then we put it back on the shelf, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why we don't do that with information. So how... I know it's very hard to make predictions about the future, and especially if you're an engineer working on a product, it's very hard to predict when a product is going to get out into the wild. But if you were to say a window, how long before we can see some of the work that you're doing being implemented, or how long before we can approve, not approve of, but uh, how long before we can actually take advantage of some of the work that you're doing? Um, Number one, I'm not the only one who's working in this uh, solution space. So I think there'll be a lot of options for like, you know, uh, consumers very soon. Uh, I think, you know, um, like I said earlier, Every piece of technology needs to be localized, right? Uh, and it has to fit into its existing, like, you know, superstructure, right? And essentially existing social contracts and whatnot, right? So I think, you know, people should demand this kind of solutions, right? So look, um, I, I think it'll happen sooner than later, right? Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's all I can say here, right, um, in a public-facing uh, forum, right? Uh, so, uh, but the more people demand this kind of, like, you know, uh, awareness-increasing solutions, right, the faster the solution will arrive in the market, right? So it, it's not just a function of, like, engineering, right? Um, also, it's a function of, like, you know, a market signal, right? So the more people demand, hey, I need a tool like this, so I will know what I'm consuming, what I'm eating in the information environment, right? So to me, that's a different feedback loop I'm trying to create, right? Uh, because the more people demand for this type of solutions, then like, you know, there'll be more people working on these solutions, right? And the more people work on these kind of solutions, right? The more competitive it'll get, right? And the consumers will get 
know, what we call best of breed, right? Yeah. You know, the best solution in the same, like, you know, uh, ecosystem, right? So to me, like, you know, building this these tools is one thing, but fundamentally changing how we approach the ecosystem is a much bigger conversation to have, right? Mm. And because so far, consumers have been an afterthought, right? To the information ecosystem, right? Even though they are the main consumers, right? So again, this is just a, a, an incredible aberration of how we organize our society at this point. Yeah. We're essentially like letting child labor, right? Go unpunished, right? And and undetected, like every single day. We may have to evolve how we work, or in what areas we specialize in. But, you know, um, I, I do believe that, you know, um, human creativity is really hard to replicate. And I'm glad it's really hard to replicate. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been a fascinating chat and I've learned Likewise. so much. It's really incredible to speak with you and you've been generous with your time. I appreciate it. I cannot thank you enough. So we will wrap it up yeah. here. And for everyone listening, if you would like to get in touch with DW, he's got all of his information below. And please, I, from my side, I imagine you will uh, echo this. Please share and spread the word about this because this is some important stuff that we are working on and doing and mainly not myself working on it, but DW is definitely doing the hard work here. And like you mentioned in the chat, this is something that we need as a society to come together and start demanding more and more. Uh, so it puts that social pressure on these, uh, on society in general. And so thanks again. Cannot thank you enough. This has been a wonderful chat. Oh, likewise. 